to Do Your Thing, an unapologetic celebration of every version of motherhood. I'm Tamsin Williamson, a life and mindset coach for mums, also known as the Parenthood Coach. And through this podcast, I'll be sharing some beautifully open, honest conversations with inspiring, passionate women who also happen to be mothers about how they loudly and proudly do their thing in life and motherhood in their own unique and authentic ways. Plus, I'll give you an insight into how I do my thing and what that means for me, my career and family. I hope these conversations inspire you to feel the freedom to do your thing and embrace your version of motherhood in a way that feels aligned, empowering and honours your whole self. This is your invitation to do your thing. So let's get on with the show. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Do Your Thing and this week I am sharing another wonderful conversation from my Instagram live archives where I speak to the inspiring Polly Lavarello about how she does her thing as a co-parent to her kids. Polly is an evergreen coach, a mentor and scaling strategist for audaciously ambitious and highly skilled business owners. And she is also a devoted mum to her two kids who she co-parents with her ex-husband who lives abroad. During this conversation, we chatted about how Polly's overall lifestyle, sense of identity and experience of motherhood have been profoundly impacted by her unique parenting setup. Polly explains how learning to co-parent her kids has been an understandably emotional and testing experience that she's needed to give space to evolve and grow into over time. But despite facing some extremely challenging times, having to make some significant adjustments to her lifestyle and doing some essential work on her mindset, she has established her own empowering, joyful and aligned way to do her thing in life, business and motherhood, both during the times that she's with her kids and also when they're apart. Polly shares some brilliant wisdom and insight here that I am certain will inspire and offer support, solidarity and hope to anybody navigating a family separation right now. And I am so grateful to Polly for opening up, being so vulnerable and for having this important conversation with me that I am sure so many people out there will really benefit from. So without further ado, Let's get on with the show. Enjoy. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm so honoured to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Like I was watching your Instagram stories over the summer and seeing the kind of the way in which you were navigating being apart from your kids and the experience that you had um yeah sort of doing your own thing and sort of the way that you divided up your time and the way that you were thinking about it and I found it just really inspiring and yeah really wanted to invite you on to chat a bit more about your situation because I am certain that it will really resonate with other people particularly going through a similar situation yeah and I'm so happy to be talking about it it's a size that I don't share very often but it's one that I'm happy to and and like you say I 
I do feel like for anyone, I mean, I was 30 or 31 when I separated from my husband. I think 31. We'd been married four years. Um, and so at the time, it felt like within my friendship groups, within even the school gates, I felt like I was one of the first divorcees. <laughs> and so it felt quite, you know, it felt like a really lonely experience. And then throw on top of that, that I would meet other parents who'd separated, well, sorry, other people who'd separated from their partners and were parenting, either solo parenting or co-parenting. But that I had this weird dynamic that the children are with me most of the year, except for the holidays. Um, you know, it meant that there, there's been a lot of kind of self-development, self-acceptance, life acceptance that's kind of gone alongside absolutely everything else. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and such a big, a big shift for you to get used to as well. Yeah, right? exactly. And it was also the biggest drive behind why I have my business. Like, you know, when I moved to the UK, so I was in Gibraltar, which should probably add some context <laughs> for anyone in I was going to ask me. you to explain so, a bit more what happened. <laughs> so I, um, I met my person who ended up being my husband and the father of my children when I was 23 and he was 21. So we were babies. Um, we were both in Bristol working in Restal Las Iguanas in Bristol Harborside for anyone who's, who's ever been there. Um, and on a really rainy February day, he said to me, my dad, my granddad's invited me to work for the family business in Gibraltar. Would you like to go? And I was like, is it sunnier than here? <laughs> Where is it? Um, and the answers, you know, satisfied my kind of adventurous side. And I, I didn't even visit Gibraltar. I just sent my bags over there and followed myself. And, you know, we were really happy for about four years, you know, and, and got married, got engaged, had my children over in Gibraltar. But as things kind of, you know, fell apart, you know, as lots of relationships that start in their early 20s do, Obviously, sadly for us, there were bigger consequences because we'd had children by then. Um, it made sense for me to go back to the UK to be supported by my family. They'd also made it illegal to work from home in Gibraltar. You had to have a registered office. And I'd already started mm -hmm. dabbling in online business. And I thought, how, how am I going to make this work? As someone who wants to prioritize my children alongside my business, you know, there was tiny, there were one and a half and three and a half when um, I moved to the UK. Mm -hmm. so there were, and even smaller when we actually started the separation process. That was about a good six months prior. So I didn't want to be missing out on that valuable time with my children. Um, I really didn't want to compromise. So I moved to the UK and I was looking for marketing jobs because I had loads of experience in it. But all of these marketing jobs had things like, oh, on Thursdays, we have Prosecco Thursdays and Bowling Fridays and all the stuff that if you're in your 20s, you'd be like, what an amazing work atmosphere. I love that. But for me, I was like, no, I'll, I'll just want to get home to my children. And um, so I kind of sensed that I would struggle to get these kind of roles. So I started off contracting and then eventually started to realize rather than me always looking for work, how about I started to attract work to me by launching as a personal brand. So that's what I did in early 2020. And I haven't looked back because it has created that flexibility to, you know, attend school assemblies, take them to school every day, collect them when I want to, um, and also created freedom and flexibility around the map. I have to travel back and forth to Gibraltar <laughs> to drop them off with their dad. Um, so yeah, it's been a really unique experience, but one of those situations where it created a fire and <laughs> fire mm. under my bum <laughs> to kind of perhaps take aligned action in a way that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I mean, I'm summarizing it in a way that makes it sound really simple. Of course, it's not been a linear journey by any means, but it, it's been, yeah, it's been an adventure. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like, as you said, it's sort of that, that gave you that fire to, to make it happen. And so many examples that you're talking about of you being like, no, this is how I'm going to do my thing. This is how I'm going to make that choice to live my life in this way or to say no to this or to that. So really kind of that growing clarity that you're talking about around creating this new version of your life for yourself, essentially. Yeah, it's one of those funny things that, you know, obviously there's a lot of entrepreneurs who talk about their rock bottom story. And and it's one of those things that I'm sometimes almost hesitant to share it because I don't want to be one of those, I had this situation and if I can go from this to that, then you can too, because we're all unique. We all bring our own skills. We all have our own, you know, needs. But, you know, ultimately it was very rock bottom because we hadn't we hadn't bought a house or anything. So when we separated, there wasn't, a, you know, by the time I paid for the move, there wasn't really very much left over. So I was being boosted by universal credit. Now, the only really good benefit is they have this thing when you're self-employed that in the first year, as long as you earn a certain base amount, they'll top you up a certain amount if you're reinvesting certain things to buy a website, business card. So it was actually... For something that at the time caused me a little bit of like personal, like, I can't believe I'm in this situation. I never thought this would be me. Mm-hmm. You know, having gone from a very comfortable situation with my ex-husband to suddenly being in this tiny flat, um, always really hot, or really cold because it wasn't very well insulated. Um, and, you know, not really knowing. I, I had no idea. Like people would occasionally say, are you going holiday next summer? Are you doing? And I just thought, I would always say to them, I, I'm just getting through this week. Like I know I'm not thinking about what's happening in the next month or the next year. The only thing I knew in the immediate term was like, I need to be here for my children. They've just been through a separation. I am not going to like, you know, I I trusted I could probably get a relatively well-paid job, but I didn't want to sacrifice the time of my kids. And I knew that I couldn't have both. Well, I didn't know I could have both. I I didn't trust I could have both. Maybe, maybe it is possible, but I didn't trust it then. So, you know, I literally started off like with the universal credit, being in the tiny flat. And actually it was in lockdown where Fortunately for me, I was in a relationship with um, a guy who I met in my son's nursery. (laughs) He was a forest schooler there. We got into a relationship, but he moved in because I got so poorly with COVID and helped a lot with the kids. And he has stopped working because all the nurseries were shut because of the pandemic. So I was like, well, I was actually really ill with COVID, but I was like, I'll just keep on working on my laptop. So I did. And we had our first, well, I said we had our first, I had my first, I would say we, because it does always feel like a collective effort, but I had my first 10K month and my partner was like, hold the phone. Like, if you can be a 10K month, why am I going to work? Why don't I help with the kids so that you can be doing more of that? And we took this massive leap of faith that I would be able to keep on doing that and moved out the little flat into another rental, but a home finding a house um, that was across the road, bought a cat that I always wanted. And, um, and yeah, somehow, you know, the finances have continued to grow since then, but it felt really scary. I remember calling up Universal Credit going like, oh my God, I'm about to say to them, please take me off this because I'm now earning enough that I don't need it. And I was like, I agree. And they were like, you know, you can come back in six months. If you reapply this, if, if you keep this bit open, you can just pause it. You can do this. And I was like, no, I'm off. I'm off. <laughs> and it felt really like it didn't feel like a victory. It felt scary in the same way that moving into the house, it, while it was a victory in hindsight, at the time, I remember people coming over going, well done, Polly, this is amazing. Look at the lovely house you're all in now. Look at the space you have. You have a garden. You have all these things. And I just remember thinking, I just really hope I can keep this up because it's all on me now. <laughs> mm. and, and, you know, so many new 
beginnings going yeah. on at the same time, right? And doing yeah. anything new is always scary at the best of times. Yeah. But doing it when you're essentially the responsibility for it sits so much with you and mm-hmm. affecting your children and, you know, all the rest of it, I can imagine. And the feelings you must have had to navigate, I suppose. And and how did that impact sort of how you parent or how you kind of show up for your kids you going through all of these big changes well it's challenging I think as I work at home like it's very cute sometimes my daughter comes in and she does impersonations of me and she goes onto my computer goes you can do it you're amazing and I'm like is that what you think I do and she's like yeah (laughs) they see they have like a real awareness of the work I do certainly the clients I work with have had to get used to the fact that my child might burst through the door at some point um and, and to be honest with you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was really hard at the very beginning. When I had that kind of not really trusting I was going to be able to keep everything, I definitely fell into that trap of I better just do everything. Um, and it's not been easy because my daughter has ADHD and autism and my son is, you know, also just poor thing, like growing up with, we don't know, but essentially he's been referred to the Child Development Centre as well because he has issues regulating his emotions, which hopefully will be something he grows out of, but he may also be on the spectrum. So we have a pretty lively household. Um, and getting a cat was one really nice thing to do because that was definitely quite therapeutic for them. Um, I really enjoy the fact that I can be more available. It also meant that, you know, with my partner not working as much and helping with more childcare stuff, that's not just a like nice to have or a luxury. It kind of feels like a need to have because my children are very energetic and um, I kind of, I really wanted someone I could truly trust to be with them to ensure that they're being nurtured in a way that children with those kind of needs need, um, that someone could understand and not just see them as misbehaving or being naughty, that they could actually see them for who they are and support them to be bring out the best in them. So, but yeah, at the very beginning, I was trying to be the perfect mum, trying to be a good partner, um, trying to be the best, you know, I started building a team. So trying to be the best boss, trying to be the best, all the things. And I, I did start to kind of, you know, by the, I mean, I had long COVID as well, which really didn't help. So mm. I really did start to kind of move towards the stage where I was like, oh my gosh, if I carry on this way, I'm going to burn myself out. I did that whole thing of like, we must do, we must do, we must do. And luckily since then, I've kind of conditioned myself more into who do I need to be? <laughs> and I recognize part of who do I need to be is resting and that that is good for my children um, and that it's okay for me. You know, in the last six months, I've started going to the gym twice a week. And at the beginning, I was like, can I leave my kids to do this? But actually, I recognize when I come back, they're like drawing pictures of me holding bar- and dumbbells and stuff going, oh, look at my mom. She's so strong. And um, and I, I know I'm giving them a good example of someone who's willing to like fill up her own cup. And I'm also always saying to them, I'm doing this to be healthy because I want to be around for as long as possible for my grandchildren. I'm already putting the pressure on them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's so it's, I'm not going to say it's easy and it definitely it takes adjustment. But they're also, you know, children are your biggest inspiration, right? Like I, what's the point in working for myself? I remember occasionally my daughter would kind of say, who's making you do this, mom? You know, why are you working late tonight? Or why are you working on the weekend? We want to spend time with you. And it felt really icky to be like, I'm making myself do this. I'm telling myself I need to do this. I'm prioritizing this over spending time with you. And does it need to be that way? But, you know, I think, you know, like, you know, being self-employed, you're constantly navigating and learning new things, right? Once you get your head around one area, you're like, oh, now I need to understand this, or I need to learn that, or I need to launch this, or I need to develop that. So it's, I don't think 
the obstacles ever go away. And that's where the being part's really important because mm-hmm. if you tell yourself, once I've done this, I'll be able to prioritize time with my kids again. Um, it just never happens, right? So it's definitely a, like a mindset shift towards recognizing, no, this is who I am. And so this is how I structure my day to allow for me to be all the elements that I desire of myself. Yeah. And I love that mindset shift and this and this um, this questioning of yourself around who do I need to be? And I think that is so relevant and important for anybody to be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a question that I think we so often forget and we worry about who other people expect us to be or who other people think that we're being. But actually really coming back to ourselves, that is such an important question to ask. Um, how I suppose this question around who do I need to be at the times when your kids are in Gibraltar Mm. with their dad, how does the who do I need to be question show up for you? Or how do you respond to that question? What feels important to you in those moments? Well, it's challenging and I can almost feel my throat constricting talking about it because it's it's, it's not easy and it's been... So our situation, I think it's been five years now. It was 2018. So no, approaching five years. No, anyway, it's about, anyway, we moved in 2018 in March. So it's been however many summers, Easter's, Christmases <laughs> since then that I've had to, and honestly, every time something new comes through, there's some things that are always the same. Um, like I always underestimate how much grief I feel every time I say mm-hmm. bye to the kids. So, I mean, I've learned to kind of tolerate um, the half terms better because by the time you start to miss them, they're suddenly back on your doorstep. <laughs> um, but I find things like Easter challenging because I've never done any, well, I've never been with them for Easter because it just doesn't work holidays wise. And I want mm-hmm. them to spend time with their dad. Um, and I don't hang out with them between Boxing Day and New Year. So I don't ever see the New Year in with them. Um, and in the summer, that's the real like kicker. They're away for four weeks. Um, and that one's really, really hard. And it's interesting because I've tried so many different ways to navigate it. Like one of the first things I did early on was to do a long weekend to Budapest or to uh, Istanbul while the kids were with their dad um, between Christmas and New Year. Because I used to hate being at home and seeing the TV of all those t- mm. perfect nuclear families, which actually, luckily, they're getting a lot better now at their representation of these things and showing more different things. But it felt kind of painful to be reminded and also all my friends I'd be like what are you up to and they're like oh we're having a family day or we're just and it just felt it just kind of felt really difficult so Mm. I still to this day actually always book a kind of getaway (laughs) between Christmas and New Year so that in that time I can just and it's really lovely you know we normally go to a little shepherd's hut in the kind of in the countryside and just play lots of Monopoly and Scrabble and then and board games and like have a little um wood fire going and kind of get away from the noise but the summertime Last summer, I also took the step to actually travel and go to Greece for almost four weeks. And that was really interesting because I thought it would make it easy. I thought the excitement of getting on a plane and going somewhere else would feel amazing. But the time I was in the airport waiting for the plane, it was almost like grieving. Like, I mean, it was grieving, but it was it was really intense grieving. Like I was just, I sat there, just I kept on crying. I kept on saying to my partner, I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to keep on crying, but this is just... But you know, the thing is with all of these things, I've just learned to allow for all these things to come through. Like it's natural I'd be grieving them. They're my children and I'm not getting to spend time with them. And it's, you can tell yourself in the mind, 
I want them to spend time with their dad. I want them to have a relationship with their dad. Aren't they lucky to have a dad who wants to have them for four weeks? You know, there's so many good things to take from this. And, you know, and they always have the best time. And it does give me some time to, you know, my relationship where the guy suddenly went from being like my butt from being my boyfriend to like raising two children with me, you know, it's quite a big quantum leap in a relationship. So it gives us some valuable us time to like work on our relationship just between the two of us. But it was, you know, ultimately you can tell yourself all these things, but the feelings are still there. And if you try to repress them, it's worse. So for me, I was letting those sobs come through. And actually once I landed in Greece, it was almost like, ding. (laughs) it wasn't too bad, but you know, I was able to kind of step away from my motherhood identity and lean more into the identity of Polly who loves to travel who loves to go to Greece who loves you know to be with her partner and and to read and to do all the things and I kind of almost just like left to that identity at the airport and kind of just really focused on myself for those four weeks which as lots of mums know that's quite a hard thing to do and I think archetypes and I don't know much about parts work but certainly since I've learned about how we get to be many things at the same time and that we can lean more into one of those archetypes at a time has been really helpful to me because it helped me feel less shame because at one point I was like oh but I'm a bad mother if I'm not thinking about my children all the time but if I'm thinking about them all the time I'm missing them all the time and I'm feeling like an empty shell all the time so recognizing a tiny amount of that archetype work I mean I'm not an expert by any means but merely just the concept alone really helped me recognize, okay, I get to be the mother when my children are back. I get to be the mother in other tiny ways, like, you know, cooking for family or looking after people or my, my cats, my cat allows me to express the mother in me, which has been really helpful when the kids are away. That's partly why I got him. So I, I was love around the house. <laughs> yeah. So some feed in the morning. But it's that comfort. It's that, it's that sense yeah. of comfort. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, and that took away some of the guilt, recognizing that it's okay to explore another side of me. And, you know, that doesn't detract from, and actually I was like, and that means when I get back, how nice is it to be able to talk about adventures to my children rather than, you know, when I'm in the home, I'm kind of sat here and I'm grieving them. This is, this is our space. This is a space I associate with them. But the power of putting yourself somewhere different is really really powerful and that environment influences us so much and there's nothing like having children out your house to remind you of that and to remind you like how much they influence the space but by putting yourself in a different space it helps you look at your life with a different perspective and focus on different parts of yourself that perhaps you wouldn't do normally yeah I love that and yeah it sounds like on so many levels you know there's the self-protection that's going on here like ways to protect yourself from the stuff that's not making you feel good you know the those picture perfect images that that bring out all the emotion in you protecting yourself from that removing yourself from the places that actually make you feel sadness but also replacing those feelings of sadness with the stuff that makes you feel alive and makes you feel you know, like that other side of your personality, other side of your identity, um, which is something that I think so many parents just don't get the opportunity often or don't create the opportunity to explore. Yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, this is why I try and it is a silver lining and I have to see it that way. Um, But yeah, I, I guess the main thing is, you know, I think there's some things in life that you need to sit through and be with. I mean, most things, right? But then there are situations like being away from your kids. If that is your way of being, your way of life, I don't know how, you know, that's why I try to give myself the moment to grieve and allow myself to feel all the feelings so that 
they're not just stuck in me for the next few weeks. But ultimately, there definitely comes a point for me, and obviously it's just my experience, where it's really helpful to me to be like, yeah, it's a bit crap. It's not what you dreamt of. But I guess I've always been like this in life. You know, it's like, where can we find an opportunity in this? How do we get mm-hmm. to turn this into something that uh, is a good thing? Because um, also th- that's what the children deserve. Like they deserve that from me. Um, and I would never want them to feel immense guilt. I don't want to grow up one day and be like, oh, our poor mum was miserable the entire time. But also at the same time, acknowledging that there is a part of me that's always missing while they're away. And that's also okay. You know, and, and I also trust that as they get older, that whole all of that will evolve. I think it's just particularly the younger they are, the more challenging it is because the more you have that sense that they're my babies, they need me. But as they become older and more independent and more easier to even communicate with when they're away, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And and you taking that approach and being really sort of open about the feelings that you have and acknowledging those feelings and acknowledging that it's hard. How much of that do you share with your kids? How much, how aware are they of that process of grieving or, you know, and, and how openly do they express those emotions back to you? Yeah, we really, I mean, I, I'm always cautious with how I approach these things because I don't want them to ever feel like they're responsible for my emotions or that, you know, I guess that's really actually what it boils down to. I don't want them to ever feel like there's anything, like even when it comes to calling them, I'm never going to say to them, if I don't hear from you, I'll feel miserable. And, you know, it's going to like, I don't, I, I just want them to be living their best lives and having the best time. And I guess that's where I then put the responsibility on myself to then also do my best to live my best life in the time that they're living theirs. But we do have conversations, of course, because they'll say things like, you know, when I'm with you, I miss daddy. And when I'm with daddy, I miss you. And we just talk about how normal that is. I think most of it is normalizing those feelings and giving space to have conversations about those feelings. Like most of the time it says I'm tucking them into bed. They'll suddenly say something. I've also got some books on separation. Like there's one called Two Nests, um, another one about super glue. So there was a phase where they were, it was not about super glue, it was about how to glue, parent glue, I think it's called. And there was one stage where they definitely wanted us to get back together. And that book was really helpful because it basically says that you can't glue your parents back together. And um, But it takes you through the process of all the things the, ba- the child was thinking. But yeah, so I, I have those books still, even though the kids are a bit old for them and they're just on the shelf. And I find when they want to talk about things, they'll pull those books off the shelf and say, can we read this together? And then they tend to follow that up with some questions. Um, but they're amazingly, generally speaking, quite emotionally resilient, but I'm very conscious of their behaviors and I'm very much on the lookout of how to kind of support them with those feelings. But I mean, the the loveliest thing is, is that they often say, you know, we're so lucky. We have three parents that love us. We have you and Mike and we have daddy. Um, And I'm always reinforcing that. I think one of the most healthy things I've done my best to always do, and I know my ex is very good at this as well, is that we're very respectful towards one another. We're very um, supportive of one another. And if there's something coming up that I'm experiencing here or that he's experiencing there, we always have each other's back. We always say, no, I'm on the same page as daddy on this. Like, and so I think all of that stuff has really helped the kids feel this sense of cohesiveness mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, we don't bad, badly talk about one another. And, you know, and then I genuinely feel quite supported by him. And I think he genuinely feels quite supported by me. So we're very fortunate. You know, I've always recognize that because we separated when the kids were so young this is a long-term thing it doesn't matter if you get divorced it doesn't matter if you get separated you're always going to be connected you know both my ex and I have huge family values and we might not be a conventional family but 
And, and, I, and this is easier for me to say, by the way, right now, if anyone's going through a separation earlier, I'm going, I can't imagine ever feeling that way about my ex. I mean, this, again, isn't something that's happened overnight. Um, and it's certainly helped that we've got a bit of like water under the bridge now. And I've seen him step up in a good way. And I myself have also done my best to reciprocate that, that, you know, we we have a good rapport. But that's so good for the kids because they, you know, they're not, if you can't fake that stuff either, can you? So it's like, as much as, you know, when we say all these things, you know, there's, a, I mean, there is a certain amount of it that perhaps is over-egged, but it's not faked entirely because I do have respect for him and like, and likewise. And so I think that really helps the kids despite having dad, you know, dad in a different country. I know where they're hanging out. I know where they're going. I know who their friends are. I encourage conversations and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't think they ever feel like anything's off the table when they're with either of us. Mm, yeah that that sense of you and and your ex being on that equal playing field and and respecting each other must make such a difference to that experience but I imagine it's a it's a process to get to that yeah I mean it's not easy because economically he's in a far superior position to me um and so sometimes of course it's really easy for that kind of sense of resentment to come up where you kind of think oh my gosh I'm raising the two children not exactly by myself now obviously I have my partner but you know how different it could or would have been and also things like all the years I spent not working while I was having those children and raising those children in the early stages that you know it's really easy to go to a place that's kind of ugly um and I think you've got to allow space for that sometimes because you can't entirely repress or deny any of those things. But ultimately, I guess I've always been able to recenter back to, but is this helping me? Is this how like is is this changing anything? I think at one point I did loads of guided meditations around past hurt, past things, like putting it into a cloud and watching it waft away. <laughs> Which you're saying in that context isn't going to do very much. But doing those regular guided meditations, I genuinely found myself not allowing, well, not not allowing myself, but I naturally stopped dwelling on the past. Mm. Um, but one thing I do do really often every time the kids go away is I do always do an always sliding doors kind of montage of like, what if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened and this could have been this way and we could have still been together. And and then the, then I wouldn't have to like, have my ch- children in a different country. So that always, always happens. But now I'm, I'm aware it's happening. I'll kind of catch myself in the moment and go, Polly, we've been through this. <laughs> it is what it is. There's no going back. And ultimately, you know, the only reason why I was having those thoughts was because of the pain of the children going away, not because of a desire to be with my ex. And so there's a lot of self-coaching involved. Oh my you're God. Well, you're very well placed <laughs> to do that for yourself. Um, but it sounds like it's part of that healing process. And yeah, know, the grief and the trauma of, you know, originally what you were going through. And in the same way that it is going to be this ongoing healing process, it sounds like you're learning so much that there are so many insights that you're picking up every time every every day every school holiday you know hopefully all of that learning that you're taking along the way is gonna yeah help help it to feel a bit more in flow as you go through and go on the journey and as the kids get older of course Mm -hmm. that's the thing with parenthood right the kids get older and then it all adapts again so yeah it, it sounds like um, you've handled it all just amazingly. And uh, yeah, I suppose for anybody that is watching now who is going through something similar, who is going through some kind of family separation perhaps, or is just really struggling with this, what would you say is sort of the number one 
piece of advice or something that's really helped you maybe right at the beginning to just start getting this process in motion to start feeling that little bit more connected to yourself or to how you want this version of life to look what would you what would you say is um something that something that's really helped you along the way that could be an easy first step for somebody to take I think one thing that's helpful is to recognize that it is a form of grief um, and almost like, you know, because you, you're losing a whole life that, you, you know, that now looks very different. And so when you recognize it's like grief, you'll also recognize it's something that, you know, you can be feeling nothing. And then one mm-hmm. song, one moment, one something can really knock you off your feet. And so I think the biggest thing that I found enormously helpful is it kind of comes back to two of my values, which is like compassion and curiosity to be immensely compassionate with yourself no feeling is a wrong feeling all feelings need to be felt but the curiosity piece there is important because it's also where we can see stories that actually aren't helpful um that enables us to perhaps be you know that will help us not experience those waves as often because you know if you're telling yourself for example that my life would be perfect if I had a husband and a mortgage and a this that and the other there are so many examples of that where that just simply isn't the case so sometimes there's certain things that with that curiosity we can take that pressure off ourselves and recognize but is this true do I actually have evidence of this or is this just a story I was telling myself and learning to be as present as you can be with yourself because worrying about the future isn't going to help anything. I mean, this is such basic advice, but it's just <laughs> it's just fundamental. Um, and likewise, dwelling in the past and wondering if anything could have been done differently, again, is a fruitless activity. So the more you can just ground it. And finally, self-care, because the more you can learn to love yourself, the better you'll position yourself as a business owner, as a mother, as a potential partner to somebody at some point, should you wish to meet someone or not, whatever. And and as a friend, and just for you, ultimately, like it's enough just for you. Being a single parent is a massive pressure. Nobody else can really understand what a pressure is. And it can feel like a very lonely space. So whatever you can do to carve out things for you, do it. (laughs) And then with no apology, just make sure you are looking after yourself because everything is on you, which means you really need to take care of yourself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like that comes through so strongly and and what for you what's your kind of go-to self-care that really like helps you or helped you what what do you love to do I mean it's been absolute baby steps when I was in that little flat I used to get a takeaway on a Friday so I didn't have to cook because I was cooking all all the time that was before I'd met my partner so I was doing all the cooking cleaning and I was like that's one tiny act I mean that was like the most basic self-care because I mean it's not like it was like a bubble bath but that just meant there was one less thing for me to do and it's been baby steps since then in terms of you know I started going for monthly massages I now have a personal trainer I see twice a week I joined a nice gym around the corner so I'm and I've got a little bathtub in the back where I like to do my cold water dip so um sea swimming like essentially I think it's almost more a way of being than habits now it's like I wake up in the morning and I check in with myself and I'm like what do I need today and if I get to the end of a particular week and I feel exhausted I kind of do a almost kind of cerebral audit of it and be like okay so where were the energy draining tasks and how do I get to make this look different next week so it's like a regular MOT on myself and when something feels a little bit like oh can I do that most of the time I'm like oh go on then let's just do it um but I I do think if you're not used to looking after yourself it can be those tiny bits like ordering chicken and chips on a Friday 
to kind of gradually be like, oh, nobody died. And actually that felt really good. What can I do next? Oh, I could go for it. And just building it up from there um, until you basically don't recognize your life because you're doing so much, so many things to take care of yourself. Yeah. And and finding those pockets of joy yeah. at the time that, you know, whether it's chicken and chips or a swim in the sea or going for a run or what, whatever it looks like, you know, binge watching a, a box set, whatever it yeah. is. It's finding those things that are going to spark joy ultimately, which is so important for all of us, but particularly in those like darker moments where you're feeling emotions like grief, actually reminding yourself that joy is possible, I imagine is. Yeah, no, totally. It's so important. Yeah. And sometimes you just need a good cry. Sometimes self-care was putting on a sad movie and just having a good old cathartic cry. And so, you know, it's going to like, I guess with everything, you know, things evolve, like your needs evolve. So it's meeting yourself in that moment and giving yourself what you need. Yeah, totally. Love it. Thank you so much, Polly, for sharing your situation so openly and honestly. I know it's not something, as you said, that you talk about all that often. So I really, really appreciate you sharing with me. Um, And if people want to find out more about you and about the work that you do, where would be the best place for people to? Yeah, just look me up at Polly Leverello. I also have a podcast called The Embodied Business Revolution. So on either of those handles, I think they're both on my Polly Lavarello um, bio though. So you can find out all, all the fun stuff there. But thank you so much for having me on. And it is good to kind of give single parents or, you know, co-parenting like a voice and to talk about these things that actually aren't spoken about enough. So thank you so much for giving me this platform to share my story with you today. Thank you so much for coming. It's been so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Do Your Thing. If you enjoyed what you heard, it would mean the absolute world if you could take a moment or two to do one or all of the following small things, which could make a mega difference to the success of this podcast. Follow and subscribe to Do Your Thing, which means you'll never miss an episode. Rate or review the podcast or share the podcast with a friend who you think would enjoy listening to. And if you'd like to continue the conversation or explore working with me on a deeper level, you can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at The Parenthood Coach, or join my email community, The Parenthood Retreat. Just go to theparenthoodcoach.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And remember... There's no right or wrong way to do life or parenthood. There's only your way. So get out there and do your thing unapologetically. See you next time.